I, I take it hour to hour around here. So we were, we've been known to have a little drama here, but that's because we have big time players. Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast, Kevin AC Padres beat writer. I'm at the Union Tribune House in Arizona. Ryan Finley, no idea where you're at, Ryan, but that's my boss uh, of a couple months now. Ryan Finley, sports editor of the Union Tribune. Played Bob Melvin at the top of the show because I thought it was one of the great quotes that uh, Bob has given, and he gives some good ones. Uh, He's a man of perspective. He's been around the major leagues for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that quote he gave about the drama, and it's because we have big-time players, it spoke to – the difference in this team in 2023. Uh, absolutely. You look at, I mean, Kevin, we can look at one single day from earlier <laughs> this week and talk about the drama surrounding this team. Um, not only is it talented players, it's big names, superstars. With that comes some ego every once in a while. Um, there's, there's nothing small time or small market about these San Diego Padres, and we are barely in, into March. I, I and, and look, right from the start, as we start to like talk about this for a few minutes here, we're in March. They haven't done anything in 2023. But like, Ryan, you're a lifelong Padres fan, not a lifelong San Diegan, but a lifelong Padres fan, a lifelong San Diegan at heart. And so you can speak to how different this is. That's the point. The point that we're making is like how how, how amazingly the this franchise has transformed and I have a story that will post later today. I assume that's up to Ryan, uh, sort of illustrating that change. It's crazy. Look, man, we, we can play let's remember some old guys, uh, <laughs> you know, all day in terms of some of the Padres who, you know, I grew up following. And, Kevin, I mean, you, you were around in the sort of brown and gold, brown and yellow 80s days, early 90s. I, this team is in so incredibly different, and the way they're going about doing it, is so different from the way I think Padre fans have been told for decades is the right way. I mean, it's strange, right? They're, I mean, they are spending money. Um, they're not believing the stuff that we had heard from from every ownership group before Peter Seidler, which was basically the only way for the Padres to compete is to develop their own players, sign them to club-friendly deals, cross your fingers and hope. That's um, the way that they're doing it uh, or th- that they're selling it in Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay. God bless Tampa Bay Rays, man. They've done it. Uh, But uh, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, Minnesota to a certain extent, though they're spending a little, but like not like the Padres. Anyway, you mentioned that one day. This Tuesday, we're taping this on Friday. The Padres uh, play tonight against the Cubs, first night game of the spring. This Tuesday, news breaks at uh, the Padres announced that Joe Musgrove has sustained a fractured big toe in a weight room accident. This is shortly before the clubhouse opens. Um, Then uh, Manny Machado, we knew this was going to happen, but there was a Manny Machado press conference announcing his 11-year, $350 million deal where Peter Seidler, A.J. Preller, and Manny Machado were. So it had to be at that. Well, coming up across town in Scottsdale was Fernando Tatis's spring training debut. Joe Musgrove, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., boom, 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 all day. I got to tell you, it's the days you live for and the days you dread as a beat writer. It was awesome. You're just going on adrenaline. Uh, the fans have to be going, what, 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 what? And it was like the highs, the lows, the, you know, the hopefulness. Uh, when you're a beat writer, Ryan, you know this. You make what you're covering the biggest thing. Sure. You, you have to put it in perspective for folks. But you make covering the 2018 Padres – 
the biggest thing because that's your responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so in the past, a busy day, or I'll go to 2019. Mm -hmm. I kind I vaguely remember needing to get somewhere, Manny Machado's first press conference. And it probably was somewhere like I need to get to the backfield to watch Clayton Richards first live BP or something. This time it's, I got to get across the Valley 45 minutes away to watch one of the greatest players in the game today, make his first start in a spring training game. And this is the Padres. Are you kidding me? I would argue that it was the most meaningful February day in the history of the San Diego Padres. <laughs> I mean, was it February 28th? It, it was. And I would say I, I, you, that argument would be it would have a short list. I mean, was it the the original signing of Machado, Manny Machado on February I think nineteenth of two thousand nineteen? Was that the one because that opened the gates? But in terms of like big names, yeah, I don't know that the nineteen eighty four Padres or ninety eight Padres had a single day where you know Tony Gwynn and and two other guys because he was the only guy on both those teams, uh, you know, had something right like. Right. No, you're, it'd be right up there, if not at the top. You know, Kevin, growing up, to me, like a lot of San Diegans, Tony Gwynn was everything, right? Um, and I know how this sounds. How many players on this current roster could finish up with a career like Tony Gwynn's? <laughs> Plus or minus three. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I mean, to me, there are three players... On this, I mean, it, I'm talking, this is not even sliding Xander Bogarts. This is Tatis Machado and Soto are all three guys who, with a good year, could could give the Padres a Tony Gwynn-level output. And there are three of them on this team. And then there's also Xander Bogarts. So everybody remember how Ryan started that, trying to put it in perspective. Like, Ryan, like, like Tony Gwynn, Gwynn, there'll never be another Mr. Padre. I don't right. care what Manny Machado does. I don't care if the Padres win three World Series in the next 11 years and Manny Machado was MVP of uh, three of them. There will never be another Mr. Padre. Of course not. But, but I mean, there will be a statue um, of, of Manny. Yeah. Uh, but there will be, you know, and also Tony Gwynn has completed his career and mm -hmm. is a Hall of Famer. It's like the other day I was talking, I actually told Trevor Hoffman about this. Like, we do this now mm -hmm. where – where we're talking about future Hall of Famers, right? Like right. Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, uh, Manny Machado, and we say, you know, future Hall of Famer or possible or potential. And it was funny because those guys were taking BP and one of the guys shagging out there was Trevor Hoffman. And I'm like, you know what? That's an actual Hall of Famer. Like, like there's such a difference between having achieved it and being good enough to achieve it. But to your point, yeah. And not just like they're on the team for one year. We'll get into this as we break down uh, Manny's contract. Right. This season. isn't Mike Piazza. Right, yeah. Like they're not just on the team for a year. This isn't Greg Maddox, okay? Uh, uh, gosh, even Fred McGriff, okay? Uh, whatever. These are guys who are a part of the Padres' core. Save for Juan Soto who's not locked up yet, but don't right. doubt it. Um, it, this is people, these are guys that are Padres for a long time. And that's really kind of the, the biggest deal here. Yeah. I mean, it, again, we're going to get way out, way out ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> there, there are three or four guys on this team that could have a compelling hall of fame argument by the time it's all said and done. 
Well, you start picking out the places for those statues. I mean, Gallagher Square is only so big, for goodness sake. Well, you know, you've kind of got Trevor Hoffman pitching to Tony Gwynn. You know, I think what you would need probably is Manny Machado fielding kind of off to the left. Hey, anyway, we can save the statue talk for later. One of these dynamic players, and we've already talked about him a little bit, is Fernando Tatis Jr. He made his um, spring training debut on Tuesday in Scottsdale, uh, played again Thursday at home against the Mariners, played the outfield for the first time. Kevin, you were there. You got to watch the good and the bad with him. Uh, what were the early early reviews on his defense, and, and how do you think he's taken to, to becoming an outfielder? Well, first thing, he looks healthy. All right, that's the number one thing, right? Got to look healthy, got to stay healthy. He looks like the same athlete. Hasn't you know hit one of those home runs yet. Hasn't had the big dramatic moment. Uh, maybe the closest was the steal on the second pitch that he was on first base. Uh, he scored both times he's on base. I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a sign, you know, or right. it's, it's kind of what you expected. Um, the outfield, look, he has looked a lot better. He has. And and if there's anything you can take in drills, like, you know, I've seen him hit home runs in, in uh, batting practice. Okay, whatever. Um, I, you know, I've seen him getting him hits in the, on the backfields against Joe, Joe Musgrove. Okay, whatever. The thing that we're looking at, is his transition to an outfielder and he's looked better. He did not look better yesterday <laughs> in Thursday's game. The ball was a little tricky. Arizona's a bear to play the outfield in. It is windy. This is, it's like, I mean, it is windy here. And especially this year, it's cold and windy. Um, not making excuses, just saying maybe the ball wasn't as easy as you thought. It was one of those kind of hit right at you. He looked, it looked like he took all the right steps and then suddenly he was fighting off the ball, whatever. Uh, he got two chances. He caught one. He didn't catch the other. Look, if Juan Soto can play the outfield, Fernando Tatis Jr. can play the outfield. Yeah. 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 He, we've talked in the past about his level of engagement, that at least, and, and this is uninformed speculation by me. The last time he played the outfield, he seemed disengaged. This was yes, years ago. He, years he ago. was moved out there in the middle of the year. He wanted to be a shortstop. I'm not saying he doesn't still want to be a right. shortstop, but this is something he had to prepare for. And yes, he had to prepare for it. Much like the shoulder surgery that he didn't want to get, he right. needed to get that because the Padres said, hey, here's a good idea, and you need to start doing what we say. Think about yourself, right? Like different circumstances, you might react to the same situation differently. I can look back in my life and say, oh, yeah, well, I'm glad it happened that way because I might have acted a different way another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, what, two years older. He's been through a lot. And, you know, this is now the thing. It's not like, hey, Fernando, we're going to move you out here, but you're also going to play shortstop like it was in 2021. He was going through some things then, feeling the pressure of the home run chase and the MVP chase. Things were ugly in that clubhouse. Uh, Things were falling apart. There's a lot of stuff going on that, that he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I want to keep it. I love this kid. Um, I just do. I, I mean, as a player, I think he's, you know, pretty cool guy. Uh, we got to keep this in perspective. Hasn't done anything this year. Still right. needs to play 162 game season where he doesn't go on the IL, you know, two or three times um, or one long time or whatever. I think that the early returns are good. And there's a lot to think that this is a different Fernando. In, it's nice to have in that the way of being engaged in that sort of thing. It's nice to have that arm in right field, too. I've also watched him. Uh, indeed, Brian, great point. Great point. Um, I've also watched him a couple times out there. These are select. I'm not watching him constantly. To me, he looks more engaged. 
Okay. Okay. No, that's good. Yeah. It's uh, I know that's a question. I'm sure it's on lots of people's minds. Fair. The bad, the bad news that started Tuesday that started the marathon day Tuesday is one of those freaky deals, right? And Joe yeah. Musgrove drops a kettlebell on his own toe, a uh, broken big toe on his left foot. Correct. His left foot. foot. Um, talk a little bit about sort of what went down there and what a realistic time frame is. Four six weeks, probably realistic. Okay. Two before he starts throwing. Nothing certain, but they don't think surgery. But uh, any day now, we could have where like the swelling and it becomes a little less grotesque. That that you can kind of, they can actually get a better idea for sure of of the situation. Um, the good news here: first off, uh, end of the toe, around the toenail. Much better. That's why probably not surgery happened with a month ago before the season. So that's good. Let's say he gets back on the mound in three weeks or not. uh, He gets back throwing in two weeks. He's back on the mound shortly after that. We could be talking about two starts. So that's good versus if it happened. uh, And I don't know this. This is like a a sort of a conditioning drill, a new drill to Joe, Mm -hmm. I guess. So I don't know if this is something they'd be doing in the season. I I think probably it was. So if this sort of thing happened um, where weight slipped out uh, in April, you'd be looking at missing what six, seven starts. So in that case, this isn't a big deal. The first thing I thought of was how it underscores the fragility of all this and why you have to remember injuries happen. Yep. And, and just, you know, this team hasn't won anything yet. I absolutely believe they're a playoff team, and I believe they're a playoff team because I think they'd be a playoff team if there were still only four playoff teams out of each league. But mm-hmm. there's not just five. There's six now. Right. And I don't think there's eight good teams in the National League. So uh, they're a playoff team, but they haven't gotten back to the NLCS. They haven't gone back to the World Series. They haven't won the first World Championship. They haven't even mm-hmm. won a game yet. So, mm-hmm. And they've lost who I think was their opening day starter. Uh, what happens if – I'm not going to mention names. I get blamed for enough, okay? But if someone important gets hurt, well, okay, you know, they've got the depth to withstand it, but stuff happens. 2021, by many measures, they they were one of the most talented teams. By many measures, they were one of the most injured teams in 2021 as well. So stuff happens. Yeah, and people who maybe like me looked at the Michael Walker signing, I went, man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to give a guy. The Michael Walker signing looks smarter by the day because, again, these injuries happen, and you need that veteran. I mean, an innings eater. Let's say they now go from their projected six-man rotation to five. You need your starting pitchers to pitch deep into games, and Michael Walker does that. Give you at least five, right? Yeah. Like, like you got to have that. There's the thing that helped them out last year the, was the starters and the bullpen playing off each other. Not only the starters getting the extra days rest, the extra days rest allowing them to pitch, throw more pitches. They were effective while throwing those more pitches, so they then didn't have to use the bullpen as much. Um, and so the bullpen didn't get worn down. My suspicion, unless yeah. say a Julio Teron or a Ryan Weathers, Jay Groom really steps up and they feel, hey, this guy can give us those five-plus innings every mm-hmm. sixth day because they have 24 games in the first 25. My suspicion is they go with five and two long relievers. That gotcha. that gives them – now, that also could be they decide they're going to go with five, and then sometime during that period they go with six because you're going to – and this will play into their uh, their thinking – 
who has options, who doesn't. When I wrote the other day about the uh, candidates, I made sure to include that in there. Uh, who has an opt-out? Julio Tehran can be out if he's not on the major league roster. He's looked real good. He pitches tonight. Um, and you start to ride the shuttle, which is what Ryan Weathers and Jay Groom might do this year. Um, so there you have it. Lots of options and yeah. not many answers. And that is funny because a week ago or four days ago, it was like there was almost no competition on this sure. team. And now there is. Sure. You get to take the Kevin Quackenbush Memorial Shuttle from San Diego to El Paso and back and forth. Basically. I call it the Nabil Krismat Shuttle. And they prefer that because they actually never leave San Diego. <laughs> Nabil Krismat was optioned like, Five times in the last couple of years, and he never left San Diego. Just hung out. Oh, that's that's funny. That's funny. Kevin, Manny, Manny Machado's contract, I know that we've written about it and talked about it, um, the negotiations and the final deal. But, you know, you had a chance to talk to him again Tuesday. How did all this come together? And, and speak a little bit to Peter Seidler's involvement in getting a deal done. Peter Seidler's involvement was big. Uh, people involved said that he deserves a lot of credit. And you can, you know, say – in hindsight, okay, like like we were saying, I was saying two things. Peter deserves the benefit of the doubt. Right now, they're not showing that Manny's a priority. Well, in Peter's mind, it was. And Peter initiated conversations with Manny when he was out here uh, around the start of camp. And things progressed quicker than many of the people involved thought that they would. Whether, you know, that's neither here nor there. They got done. They those people, most of them, uh, especially on the Padres side, thought that it would get done. They expressed that all along. Uh, they were just talking in terms of, hey, we've got a long time, and they really didn't. Um, right. I truly believe, had they not got this done, and uh, I think it was AJ uh, that referred to, AJ probably referred to it in the press conference, about Manny takes things you know, personally. He considers, if you're on his side, you're family. If you're not on his side, okay? <laughs> so... I think if this had gone on a long time, like if they'd started these talks and things were said about Kumbaya and then it didn't happen, I still say money talks in the end, but it may not have been entirely truthful when uh, Manny said that uh, they hadn't uh, even thought about second choices. Okay. Uh, There were other teams out there that would have given Manny a lot of money if he had another good year. Uh, And Manny knew that. So I think it's good that they got it done sooner. And I think that was really my point all along was like, you know, Manny is taking some of this stuff personally. Well, guess what? Now what he's taking personally is you love me. Like you've made me the man because I am the man because you don't get to be as good as Manny without believing you're the man and you should be paid like the man. So uh, good for everybody. Sure. In, in any negotiation, obviously, what you're looking for is a win-win. The win for Manny Machado is he gets big money. The win for the Padres is that Manny Machado's moved some of that money around that's going to allow them to compete in the next few years. Was that a surprise to you? And if we're just speculating here, Kevin, where does that money go? Uh, what most people are interested in, uh, and it has been you know, widely reported uh, that the Padres uh, do have interest in going after Shohei Otani, do have interest in locking up Juan Soto. Don't know that both of those are uh, possible, but as I've said here and elsewhere, I'm out of the speculating business on what the Padres will do with their money. 
Um, there is a ceiling, okay? And a part of the evidence of that is the words they've said, um, that at some point there's going to have to be your Ethan Salas, your Jackson Merrill, um, some of the uh, other uh, the pitchers, uh, Lesko, uh, coming up and making $750,000 uh, to help offset sure. some of this. But one of the things is it was important to the Padres, uh, to Manny as well. And first off, let me say no one needs to worry that Manny won't be able to afford eggs. Uh, because Manny has made a lot of money and will make a lot of money in the next three years and obviously after that. But here's a big deal. The Padres owed Manny Machado $90 million in base salary over the next three years. Now, with his base salary and uh, the portion of the signing bonus that he gets this year, Nothing the next two years, as far as that, the rest of it will come in the final seven. So over the final or over the first three years, they owe him $49 million. That's 23, 24, and 25. That's a savings of $41 million. Okay. Um, that doesn't, that pays for less than one year of Shohei Otani, but it's a start because a lot of people, uh, there's some significant contracts coming off the books next year, too, that, that will help out. Um, and look, payrolls go up. They do. It's relative, right? Like I talk about this in the story that I post. The Padres payroll, 25-man uh, payroll opening day was around $50 million, 50 or $60 million. It's 200 this year, Okay. But I mean, you go you go up a little. Baseball inflation's bigger than uh, the inflation the rest of us. Life inflation, right? But but still, like three three and a half, depending on your measure, four times in, uh, the the amount in five years. Uh, that's remarkable. Payrolls go up, salaries go up. That's why when I talk about that, Juan Soto will make. Uh, $40 million a year. And you're like, what? No. Well, if he has two good years, yes, he will. Cause it's two years from now. Um, right. And that will, that might even be a bargain. I'm uh, Scott Boris is what 40. That's all. No, that, Manny did the Padres a favor and he did himself a favor because right. if you're going to stay here, you don't want it to be the old days where, you know, it's Adrian Gonzalez and nobody that's else it. that anyone's afraid of. It's, it's so funny. I think back even to as recently as 2016, the Will Myers extension. Remember yeah. reading through the Will Myers extension, you go $20 million by the end of his career, he's gonna, or by the end of his the, the terms of the deal, he's going to be making $20 million a year. And that was the most per year the Padres had ever paid anybody. It was the How biggest contract they'd given. Right. How many guys in 2023 on this roster are making $20 million? Six. I yeah. No, five now because five. Manny's not. Woo. Ooh, there we go. That's funny. That's funny. Kevin, you've been covering spring training a long time. How much do you love the pitch clock? As much as I thought I would, if not more. There's little things like the ninth inning of a spring training game when you've got some guy from single A up, right? And the guy from single A at the plate and they're both nervous as heck and the pitcher's taking forever and the hitter's stepping out a hundred times and the score's 14 to seven and there, you know, there's no reason, but everyone's taking 37 seconds between pitches. Oh, that can't happen anymore. As far as for the regular season, look, average game time, I guess, is down around two and a half, 235 uh, from 305 during the regular season last year, 301 during spring training last year. So let's just say it's 25 to 30 minutes shorter. Well, you're, you don't have replays. You don't have the pitchers haven't fully figured out 
how you know their comfort level of waiting for the pitch clock to go down. Uh, so and the batters haven't figured out like, okay, when can I take a timeout? You know, or like what what's umpires? I mean, everybody's gonna. I'm thinking it's gonna settle around two forty five, two fifty. Okay. Here's the thing, though. I'll take two fifty all day. I love two forty. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, I'll take two fifty if it's a quick two fifty. The problem with some of these games is you get a two forty game. And it felt like it was seven hours because of all the antics going on. And Mm -hmm. look, some of those antics are a part of baseball. And I think there could be some alterations in coming years because we haven't got into pitchers having to go six innings and being tired. Uh, The pressure of a high leverage situation, the eighth, ninth inning, a reliever probably does deserve a little bit more time. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it'll be interesting uh, to see, but. Do I love the pitch clock? And I don't know anybody in the game who doesn't. I'm sure there are. I just haven't talked to them or read their quote. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I I think, too, we might see more mound visits, maybe. I mean, if we're talking about – Differently used, right? Right. Maybe more to give a guy a break than to – How about pitchers taking a ball? Yeah. Like, like, because, hey, I need this time. I'm going to go 1-0 or I'm going to fall behind, you know, or I'm up 0-2. I'm up – whatever. That's a great God. I hadn't thought and, of that. And, and pitchers are going there for to, a minute. Yeah. We're seeing it already. Pitchers are going to come set early to hold the runners because the biggest thing here, for those of us watching, the biggest thing is the time. For the mm-hmm. players, the biggest thing is that the pitcher, um, when you get on base, the pitcher can only disengage from the mound twice per plate appearance. Right. Uh, and when a guy's on base – Guys on first base, that can cause some problems. So there, there's a there's a lot of trickery that's going to go on there. The shift, you didn't ask, but I'll tell you, um, it's going to help Juan Soto. Yeah. He's had three singles this year up the middle where he says two of them, somebody would have been there. One of them was two strikes. They play him differently. I say all three of them, someone would have got that ball or, or at least had a much better chance than they did now. Rod Carew, would he'd probably still be in the Hall of Fame. He would have figured out how to hit. The guy could have hit an ant on uh, an ant hill in right field if he wanted to. He's like Tony Gwynn that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Rod Carew wouldn't have had whatever his final number was uh, career if the shift had been in place, all right? Yeah. And, but going up the middle – it's going to be a hit now, man. I don't care. They can play over, but they're not back on the grass and they're not directly over second base or just to the right of second base. It it's, might have more of an effect than I thought for some hitters, but you are still seeing for most guys, the ball is still oftentimes hit right at the fielder. You know, they can still position the, the, the fielder. Sure. So they have all the analytics Mm-hmm. They know, oh, this is where the guy should, second baseman should play. So it's going to be a real cat and mouse game. I, I, I love basically everything about. I can quibble, but I love everything about the new rules changes. I don't know about the bigger bases, but whatever. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. We've only got a couple minutes here because we're coming up on on thirty. But David Dahl to me has been one of the stories of spring. What yes. has he done to help his chances of making this roster? Um, he's looked healthy. He has hit uh, extra base hits. He has played excellent defense, which you know what? You wouldn't know because his metrics are terrible. And that's why I don't like defensive metrics. Um, certainly not if you compare them to the what the, the story that offensive advanced metrics tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
metrics can't tell you how difficult it is to play the outfield at Coors Field, which is where David Dahl played it. Um, he's taking advantage of his opportunity. It will be very interesting. Very cool. I think very he's cool. on this team. I mean, at this point, if opening day were tomorrow, one of my favorite sayings, if the season ended today, if opening day were tomorrow, it's not. David Dahl would be on this team. I like when a guy hits two home runs on opening day and he's on pace for, you know. <laughs> 364 home runs or whatever. Now, hey, now I'll tell you what, there's a lot of good opening day players. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You're right. You're absolutely right. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Hot Lava Podcast. Kevin, the next time you and I see each other, we will be <gasps> shoulder to shoulder in Peoria. You're going to come visit me. Can, should we do one? Should we do one? The just UT like, house. Yeah. Give, yeah we got one right next to each other. Take we up got the it right here. Yes. Two absolutely. computers, but right next to each other. That'd be cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah, let's do that next week. Jay and I never did that. We'll see. Ever. Thanks, everybody.